0: Tuesday, December 13th, Guy Adami, Dan Nathan, Market Call, 1 p.m. We're 5,000-ing a little early today, folks. Uh, just so you know, probably about 125-ish as Dan's got some important biz, as does g Swiz. But this is Market Call, today sponsored by CME Group, Dan, where risk, in fact, meets opportunity. And our partners at Facts, at both our sponsor and our data provider, they continue to get it done for us, Dan Nathan, I will yeah. tell you every once in a while, you have these days we got a bookmark. You got to get one of those trim tab things and put it on the page. Well, today appears to be that type of day. I mean,
1: listen, you and I, you know, we were speaking earlier this morning. The data comes out. I don't think it's a big surprise. We have this Fed meeting tomorrow. We know that the CME Fed Funds futures are pricing a near certainty of a 50 basis point increase. We know that the last four meetings we've seen 75 basis point increases has been the largest pace in which um, the Fed has raised interest rates in a very long time. And here's the thing. The fact that we have the CPI data this morning, Guy, and it's a little softer and that the S&P futures are literally bid up. 3% like that, you see bond yields going the other way. I think we have a day chart here at the S&P, which just really shows, um, you know, the hair trigger action. You like to use that term every once in a while. I mean, investors want to, you know, shoot first, ask questions later. I mean, that's just a one day open at the highs. You know, here we are making new lows about to go red on the day. I mean, what does that sort of behavior,
0: investor behavior speak to you? Yeah. Well, that's a great question. And is it, and I'm not trying to be glib here at any stretch, it's actually a serious question, but is it truly investor behavior or is the market become held ransom to these algorithms that pick up headlines and basically trade off them? So yes, I mean, they're clearly animal spirits at work without question, but there's also some semblance of, you know, the machines have taken over in the equity market because that move earlier today, um, Obviously, it immediately up 115. I think S and P handles. Yeah, didn't make a lot of sense to me given the number. I mean, the number was softer than expected. But again, when you're still talking about a 7.1 percent read off that peak we had over the summer of 9.1 percent, it's not like inflation is cratering or the rate is cratering. It's moving down orderly, but I don't think nearly as quickly enough. So I think I think what the market is trying to recognize now that perhaps. Human beings have come back into the equation is you still got a Fed meeting tomorrow. I think we know what's going to happen, to your point. But the questions and then the subsequent answers, given the fact that the market is at these levels, is going to be really interesting to see how Jerome Powell navigates it. Because I will tell you, um, they don't want asset prices elevated. I mean, they've basically, as much as stated that... And over the last six to nine months, they paraded dozens of officials out to say exactly that same thing. Yeah, no, exactly. And
1: you know, you just mentioned the levels. I mean, let's look at the S and P 500, the futures here. Let's look at a one-year chart. We know the downtrend. I think we can all see it in our minds. If you're listening to us in your favorite podcast store, you know what we're talking about. It is a series of lower highs and lower lows. And we got through that downtrend that's been in place since the second or third trading day of this year in January. Briefly, it looked like a big gap. The fact that we have reversed that, and now we are basically right on the 200-day moving average below that downtrend. If the Fed comes out, and to your point, Fed Chair Powell does really not want to see the S and P five hundred down about fifteen percent on the year, given how much they've raised interest rate. It would say that there's something broken, guy, between the mechanism of yields, right, and 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 asset prices. Because what were they trying to do by raise uh, by raising interest rates? They were trying to tamp down asset levels and valuations. And actually, it would prove that they weren't that successful. Right. They pop bubbles like crypto and 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 PFPs of bored apes and this and that or whatever. But they didn't do the stock market yet. And you could also to make the argument, given how much the housing market ran up over the last year and a half right into the rate increases, that housing is barely off of its highs, even though it's down at least 10% most parts of our country.
0: Yeah. And throw the other factor in there, the job market remains strong as can yeah. be. You know, you continue to see wage growth, albeit somewhat muted, but you're seeing wage growth. I mean, all these things are basically counteracting what they're trying to do. So, in their mind, they say, well, at least the CPI is coming back down. You know, that 9.1 print was atrocious, but, you know, we've been moderating, moving lower. Effectively, if you think about what inflation is, it's a it's a rise month over month, year over year. Effectively, we have no inflation if you really want to break it down because the month over month is basically in line. The yeah. absolute rate is a bit of a concern here. But with a strong job market and now commodities seemingly taking their cues from potentially – this interpretation that's just going to make their job that much more difficult. And we've said it for a while, this was never going to be an easy thing for them to navigate. And I think we're seeing it happen right before our very eyes. Yeah, so you've been spot on in, in what the kind of two-year Treasury has done. It's really,
1: you know, it, it just hasn't budged a whole heck of a lot. Here we are at 2.0, or excuse me, 4.2. But the 10-year, you know, at 3.5 right now is kind of interesting. We have a one-day chart of the uh, of the yields here. And if you look at it, the New jerk again was yields lower. They're coming, mm-hmm. in, uh, coming up a little bit off of that um, low made, you know, just after the opening today. But if you look at it on a one-year basis, and, you know, again, I think you and I were in clear agreement that. We thought that we'd see three and a half percent. I actually think that we see. If you look at this one-year chart, I think we see three percent, possibly, maybe by year end. Man, I mean, because here's the thing: if Fed Chair Powell comes out tomorrow and just said yes, the rate is going to stay elevated. We're not going to be raising rates aggressively. And you know, again, if you want to throw up that CME Fed Watch tool, you know, you look at um, the near certainty of fifty basis points tomorrow. The next meeting is going to be on February first, and it's showing the potential for um, another. 50, if we start to see data, if we see unemployment rate tick up a little bit, and we're going to get that in early January and some other data that suggests softening inflation, then you're going to see that start ticking down a little bit, right, Guy? Like the expectation would be maybe a 25. That's what we're going to be battling over come new year is 25. And at that point, I really think you're going to have the 10-year yield down there near that 200-day around 3% or so.
0: Well, that would speak to an extraordinarily slowing US economy, I would think. And again, you've made this point, but it's important to make it yet again. Even if they were to, let's just say it's 50 tomorrow and 25 basis points next meeting, and that's it for the year. There's this belief, I think, that somehow in the back half of next year, rates are going to start going lower, or they're going to start taking rates lower. And I don't think if you really listen to what they've said, that's the case at all. They've talked about being elevated for a longer period of time. And there's a cumulative effect to the economy that takes place at interest rates at a certain level. We obviously saw one side of it when interest rates were zero for a decade or so. We're starting to see the other side of it. And then people are coming to the realization that slowing growth means slowing earnings, means slowing revenue, and it's going to hurt margins within with again a CPI rate that's probably going to still be hovering in the fives um, in the middle of the next year. So it's it's a problematic thing. And I don't think the, let's put it this way, the market rallied this morning. Did not was not commensurate with really what's going on in the world, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I agree. You know, yesterday, I just want to touch on this really quickly, um, because we talked
1: about the NASDAQ 100, and we're going to look at the NASDAQ futures right here. Guy, you look at that downtrend, you look at the 200-day moving average, it has not reached the downtrend, it has not touched the 200-day, and I do think that the relative underperformance of the NASDAQ off of those October lows to the S&P is really interesting. We know why. There was this rotation into growth, or excuse me, into uh, value, right, which really benefits. Fitted stocks that look like uh, the names in the in the uh, S and P 500 or in the uh, Dow. And the Dow at one point last week, guy was down only six percent on the year, yeah. which is pretty remarkable. Um, but the VIX was telling us a story. You know, we we highlighted this yesterday, and we know that sometimes the price action, the VIX, after a weekend, you know, you see that kind of Monday pop or so. But it really remained elevated despite the fact the market looked like it was hoping for weaker data on the inflation front this morning, which would cause the sort. A rally or some sort of rally that we had, um, today, but look at the VIX it's still hanging in here. You know, I've been long calls. I detailed it last week on the market call. And, uh, you know, I rolled those into some weeklies this week because when the market was up 3% and the VIX was down near its lows down more than 10%. I said, man, Oh man, I don't know how you buy this into the fed tomorrow. So I kind of, I didn't think we were going to give up the whole thing, but at this point it looks like we are going to, and the VIX is going to stay bid into tomorrow because yeah, now, the, you know, I mean, just saying in general. And if if he is hawkish, you're going to see this thing above its 200 day moving average, probably in the mid to high 20s. And that I, was agree.
0: I, I, I totally agree with that yesterday. And we talked about potentially yesterday being a bit of a tell. And obviously the VIX is off a little bit, but it's grinding back. Um, and I think you're right. Hawkish. Again, the statement will be what it's going to be. I don't think the statement is going to be changed in a meaningful way based on this number today, but it's the answers to the questions. That's when the market really moves. It's the back half, that last half hour of those pressers where questions are asked and answered in such a way that the market takes its cues from. Real quick, Dan, we have a question from Mike. It's either placid or placed, so I apologize. And he says, why compare the twos tens when three months to 30 years is negative? You have you have inversions all throughout the yield curve, Mike, without question, you're right. I mean, we could look at a number of different things, fives, tens, twos, tens, twos, thirties. I mean, there are any number of different things along around the yield curve that have gone negative. And again, regardless of what you pick, it doesn't speak to a robust economy. and It certainly doesn't speak to a market that should be trading at basically an inline historical multiple, probably right around 18 and a half times next year's numbers, if you think about it right now, Dan. Yep, no doubt about that. All right. Aside from guy, the um,
1: reversal in the broad market today, the most interesting thing that I see, and they might be related, but maybe you can help figure this out a little bit. Crude oil is having a day; it's yeah, up three percent. You're seeing the OIH, the XLE. These are two ETFs that we talk about a lot: the uh, oil services and uh, the XLE, the large integrated here, and they're bouncing. Um, but you know, it's interesting that you know we saw crude up right out of the gate, and then I saw this headline from OPEC. Did you see it? They said they're cautious on demand um, heading into the new year right. and then put that all together. Maybe these guys can throw up the Jets chart. That's the ETF that tracks the airlines and the big components. You know what they are. United, Delta, Southwest, um, JetBlue's in there, You know American and the others. And that thing's getting murdered today. And that's one that, you know, I've had this bearish position on here a little bit. I thought the demand was going to be weak based on some of the things that we heard from booking and Expedia over the last, let's call it month or so. But this is not a great, price action today in these airlines and then when you look at crude
0: maybe found a bottom here talk to me let's let's pull that crude chart back up yeah let's look because, at the crude chart yeah. and and the headline is interesting so OPEC urges caution cuts first quarter oil demand i mean that's basically giving them runway to for further production cuts i think in my opinion again i'm not trying to game this out or sort of talk my or talk my dogma but you've made this point for a while you know you said Last week, in the middle of last week, you, you don't really like to press a position like this on the short side in terms of crude oil. And that proved to be correct. Now you're seeing the bounce. And what does it mean? If you're going to start seeing production cuts again, and we're going to have Halima Croft, by the way, on the On The Tape podcast this week, it's going to be fascinating to see what she thinks about the energy market. But these energy names have been resilient. Yes, the OIH, I think, traded down about 278 or so. You're, I think, the XLE that you put on traded off as well. But they're all starting to get back on their horse again. And what does it mean? Again, this is energy is such a huge component of inflation. And again, anything interpreted as dovish is just going to set these commodity markets, in my opinion, back towards the upside.
1: Yeah, well, you know, you've been saying that. And I, I think that's interesting. I haven't had a, a strong opinion one way or another, especially when I was still bearish of both of them. But now that I've taken off, it, it does make some sense to me, which actually leads us to the dollar, you know, the yep. US dollar index, the Dixie. And when you look at this thing here, um, and you know, you kind of have to say to yourself that, okay, why was the dollar so strong all, you know, relative to, okay, let's say the euro. When we look at the Dixie, you know, 50% of that basket is the euro. We get it. We got what was going on right over there. And then you look at some of the other currencies and the pressures, um, you know, on the on the Chinese yuan, And, you know, the list goes on and on here. Well, the Dixie is very near six month lows you know and it really feels like it's peaked you and i've been saying that long term yields have been peaked we know the correlation um between the two of these but you know this should be
0: really good i think support. for you know commodities uh, specifically uh, Yeah. Oil. and and we should right this weakness in the dollar should and it's, i think it's proving to be if you look at the move in precious metals today as well but this also should be a level of support and it's interesting Gary made a comment on the chat that call on treasury rates going lower does not suggest um, higher crude oil. That's true. I, I know exactly what you're saying, except they are mutually exclusive right now. And Crude oil's come down significantly, and you still have supply-demand fundamentals that are out of balance. I mean, there's still a supply problem on the crude side. So I can actually reconcile dollar going lower, rates going lower, and crude oil going higher. And to a certain extent, you're seeing that today. So you know, it, that's what makes this thing so difficult. You know, we talked about it with Peter Bukvar a couple of weeks ago, and we talked about it. Um, I, I think on the On the Tape podcast that dropped on Monday um, with the gentleman from Fidelity. I, I can't remember his name. I Urian, apologize, Yurian Timmer, Yurian. U- and we talked about this scenario where, again, you have lower rates lower dollar, higher commodities, and what does it mean for valuations and stuff. And it's playing out, Dan. It's just a very confusing time. And you know, you're taking aspects of markets from the nineteen twenties, nineteen fifties, as he pointed out. He made reference to the post-World War Two, yep. talked about the seventies and the eighties. So there's something for everybody in this 2022 market.
1: Yeah, here's something that until recently has not been for everybody in 2022, Guy, and that's gold. Um, and you've had a you've had a nice call off the bottom here. Um, and, and I think the reasons in, in which you you thought it should work, you've been in the camp that the Fed kind of lost control about what they thought was going on with inflation last year. <laughs> they stayed their welcome way too mm-hmm. long on the easy monetary. And that's also um, really clear. The uncertainty about what's gone on with COVID zero in China and the supply chain disruptions and oil and the supply chain disruptions from the war in Ukraine. Okay. Those were all, you know, not something that anyone could kind of put their finger on here. Um, But, you know, Gold, your view is that at some point, all of those things that I just mentioned, including the Fed waiting too long, is going to cause something really nasty on the other side, right? A weakening economy, and that's the very thing that might cause people to look at gold again, especially when the the kind of gold uh, doppel digital doppelganger, you know, Bitcoin has just lost all you know interest by yeah. most institutional clients. Gold should start to work. It's working. You see that uptrend that's been in place. It's contending with those two hundred. Is there a move possibly into the new year because people? said, OK, let's go back to the thing that makes us feel better in worse times uh, geopolitically. Yeah, I'm going to be
0: careful here because I I do think the answer is yes, there's a move lined up. But again, if he's overly hawkish tomorrow, the, you know, gold will probably give back its gains of the last week or so. So th- with that caveat, the answer is yes, I think gold has a place here. And if you look at what's really happening, central banks have actually been buying gold. Chinese have been actually selling US treasuries and buying gold as well. And I don't know if we can do this on the fly, but if you put up a silver chart in the form of SLV real quick, you'll see again that silver is another one of these things that very quietly is going from about 18 and a half. I think the current level is about 24 or so. And you know this seemingly is off to the races as well. So there you go. I mean, it, the precious yeah. metals are starting to catch a bid, And I think it's suggestive of all the things we say. I think people are finding um, value here in things that were left for dead four or five months ago.
1: Yeah, well, here's one. Um, today, it's they're finding a little value in the aforementioned Bitcoin. And, yeah. and again, here's the futures. Here, these are listed on the CME. Um, you see our nice looking fact set chart here. That very well defined downtrend from the highs, you know, late last year. You know, we've really been basing here, and and you see the resistance, you know, at the current levels that we're just below. But again, basing, I mean, until we kind of meaningfully get above, you know, that that kind of level here that we've been in for the last, I don't know, month since the breakdown below like 18,000 or something like that. I just kind of really find this thing, especially given the headlines with, you know, this, this San Bankman Freed. Hey, hey, first of all, guy, San Bankman freed. We did a podcast with the sponsor or one of the sponsors of our fine market call here on Tuesday, Terry Duffy, the CEO, CEO of CME group detailing and he has receipts for all of it. Mm -hmm. Calling out SBF as a fraud back in the spring. Was that back in March? I think yeah, it was in March. It was in front, in front of Congress.
0: Congress. Yeah. You know, and he was and yeah, he absolutely called him out. He made all the cogent points. He tried to explain to Congress what was going on. Ro Connor from California clearly didn't want to hear it. He has subsequently what I've come to learn, he has apologized in the form of um Terry, you saw things that I didn't see. No, and, way. you know that's tantamount to an did apology. He do that.
1: Did he do that? Apparently, again?
0: apparently that was done not in a public fashion, but he reached out to Terry. From what I've been told, I mean, we'll see. You know, whether that comes out or not doesn't really matter. I think he's actually addressed that in terms of the media. Last time he was on CNBC, Rokana that is. But with that said, so many people just really didn't want to hear what he has to say, and that's really a function of this cult of personality, which was the title of a podcast a few months ago. People want to believe in certain things. We saw it with Elizabeth Holmes at Theranos. Yeah. To a certain extent, you saw it with Bernie uh what what's his name Bernie Sander Bernie helped me off. made yeah. off and you're seeing it here as well so and people just don't do their due diligence at all because they figure if this person invested in that guy or gal they must have done their work but yeah. your point about Bitcoin, I mean, it did get off the mat a little bit today. And I was never a believer that this uh, Sam Bankman-Fried thing was an indictment of Bitcoin. It was an indictment of Sam Bankman-Fried. I don't think it, it was an undermining of the asset. But, you know, people will, again, they'll interpret it any way they want.
1: Well, you know, it's an undermining of the asset from the standpoint, of a lot of people who were trying to, to to look for, um, you know, like institutions that that were kind of um, gave them confidence, right, in transacting and mm-hmm. in. in investing in it, holding it, cussing, you know, the list goes, lending it out, you know, I mean, the list goes on and on and on, being able to represent if you're an institutional fund manager, um, that you have all these processes in place, and that we can invest your capital in this, you trust us, you know, the the trust has been really broken, especially when you consider all the VCs who are actually venture capitalists who are investing in Sam Bankman frieds not his hedge fund that they were diverting capital to. And that's not me saying that, that's the, the complaint where he was just arrested saying that they They were like, almost from the get-go, Diverting customer assets and putting him into his hedge fund, and that's how this thing got built. I mean, you lose that sort of confidence guy altogether in in, in a brand new asset class, which has really you know been around for a little ten plus years, but institutional adoption of it in just the last few years, it's hard to come back from that. And the fact that you know Danny Moses on on the tape has said this numerous times, you know, the fact that Bitcoin is not like single digit thousands, it's not like trading at six or seven thousand, actually is kind of bullish. But the fact that it can't get off the mat meaningfully yeah. and, and break out, you know, above these, these technical resistance levels also says something.
0: Yeah, tomorrow, again, I, we keep bringing up tomorrow, but, you know, hawkish tone out of the Federal Reserve, again, in the form of QA, you're going to see Bitcoin give back whatever it gained today, and probably a little more so, because one of the points I've tried to make, sometimes um, elegantly, sometimes sloppily, is the fact that Bitcoin was born out of this fear Of central banks run amok. And it's no coincidence that, again, Bitcoin topped out this time last year when our Federal Reserve pivoted. That's not coincidental. So if central banks are trying to get their collective act together, I think Bitcoin has a ceiling. If central banks bend, or pivot, or flinch, or blink, whatever word you want to use, I think that's the next leg higher. And to a certain extent, you saw some of that earlier today. You saw what could happen. But again, it really comes down to this time effect or you know 25 or so hours yeah. from today
1: well listen here's the other thing man this could be just the tip of the iceberg as it relates to fraud I know a lot of people are focused on some other exchanges some other stable coins um you know there's a lot of you know noise around binance i don't know anything about it i can't tell you that there's any credence to some of the allegations about it but um you know if there's one after another start to go down i mean that's the scenario where you know the, the underlying and it is bitcoin because it's the market cap leader you know that's the thing that is mm-hmm just you know going back i've never been a bit a fan of bitcoin i don't like the religious nature of those people who've been pushing it for all these years it doesn't seem to solve any of the purposes that they suggest it does and to use your phrase again the cult of personality it's the cult of the thing behind it i mean Think about this. You know, when Elon Musk in early 2021 was pushing Dogecoin, he put Bitcoin on the Tesla balance sheet. He was, you know, like like revving up the meme stock stuff or whatever, it was all wrapped up into one, man. And that's just lastly before we get out of here, just can we spend a couple minutes on this? You got to look at Tesla. Yeah. You got to look at this thing because to you and me, you know, on Tuesdays, we spent a lot of time talking about, um, you know, macro products that trade on the CME. Um, But this is really important from a sentiment standpoint here. This was a trillion plus. Market cap stock. Elon Musk, the CEO founder, richest guy in the world. Look at this. This is a tech founder. This is somebody that people follow. This this text or this tweet was sent to me. This guy is embarrassed to have a Tesla. He sold it. Okay, you're seeing a lot more of this thing. And look at what's happening with this stock. I really we highlight this 140 level. That is when the S and P suggested. Well, I suggested stated on november 2020 uh, two years ago that they were going to put this stock in the 500 index it doubled in the next month and a half or so it's round tripping that entire thing and you know tesla um you know largest shareholder elon he's becoming a detractor for the brand he's got tons of his shares the largest shareholder of 14 percent pledged for Twitter, OK, and for all the debt to buy that, he's supposedly selling secondary of his SpaceX holdings, which is trading at 50 times sales, guys. So talk to me about the sentiment in and around this, especially along the time that we're starting to see things like SPF. I'm not saying there's any fraud here by any means, but we're seeing a lot of nastiness wrapped up into one guy. And it seems to be coming undone a little bit.
0: Yeah, I mean, we just try to game things out, looking at the stocks and where we think things can go. And, and we've said for a while that ultimately $150 is a level that uh, Tesla's. going to find a, a home. And here we are. Now it's done it with fits and starts. I mean, we traded down to that 168 level or so, traded back to 200. But we said that that was probably going to be a rally to fate, and that's proving to be correct. And you have to wonder, if Tesla, the stock, were to continue this move, and now it's, I think, 60% off its all-time high or something around those levels, and what does that mean for the broader market sentiment? Because for in in a lot of ways, I think both Apple and Tesla are sort of the poster children for market sentiment. And we'll see. But Tesla's not trading well. And again, it really does come down to, I think, the belief in whether you believe or not in Elon Musk. And the last couple of weeks have been difficult for him, I think, in both the public forum and in terms of his stock as well.
1: Yeah. All right. Well, that's it. That's why we hit on that one. To me, I think that's so as you gotta important look as at it. it. Any other macro asset here, and I think that you know the cult around him and his involvement in all these companies it could kind of un- come undone here. But again, you know, I said this on a call that you and I were on, you and I were on before a year ago. If let's say the headline pops up on facts that tomorrow morning at six a.m. that Elon Musk is no longer the CEO of Tesla, if that happened a year ago, I think the stock might have cratered twenty some percent just on that headline. Given where the stock is right now and all the negative sentiment around him, the stock might rally ten. 10- yeah. 15, 20% on that. So so again, I think it's worth noting it's one of the largest components of the S&P five hundred and obviously of the Nasdaq. That's it, guy. We're out early. Today. I know you
0: want to get out of here. Great ranger win last night, down two zip, three-one came back and won an overtime snipe goal, which is just great to see. Uh, They're on the right path. But that's it for Market Call. We cut it a little short today. I am sorry. I want to thank our sponsor, CME Group, where risk and fact meets opportunity. Our sponsor, FactSet, our data provider, FactSet. We'll be back tomorrow, Wednesday. I believe the great Carter Braxton Worth will be joining us. See you later, folks. See you, guys. Thanks.